I want to let you know that laying out this whole series on the book of Revelation, um, today landed, there's a certain teaching that landed today, and I'm like, oh no, kids will be there. Because there's just a lot of stuff, and it's pretty heavy. So <laughs> what I want to do is teach at like 1.5 speed. You guys listen to podcasts at like 1.5 sometimes just to get through it faster. Some of you do, right? I hear, see some head nods. Um, I'm going to try to get through. A, I'm actually going to condense a lot, and then we're going to show you a video. I know. And this video is so much better than anything I can say. So just hang in there. Just hold out hope that the video will help it all make sense. Is that cool? You guys with me? Caffeinated? Please, because there's actually more of you here than I thought would be here. I'm really, really impressed with you. So let's just make this interactive and and more kind of fun. So the next three weeks, we are going to be in a passage of Revelation that is often used literally. It is often looked at word for word literal. And what I want to do, though, is take three themes over the next three weeks, a little mini-series, and kind of zoom out and see how these themes are all throughout Scripture, okay? And in a sense, they're themes that we struggle with and wrestle with today. Does that make sense? Some of you have shared with me that you've been really thankful for the, for the perspective that we're looking at with Revelation. And I'm thankful for the feedback, but I know for some of you this is really difficult because there has been a way that we've read Scripture, especially Revelation, that, um, that, that kind of has some ruts to it that we keep falling into. And I'm proud of you for wrestling with it. My, my goal and my intent isn't to get you to agree with me. My goal and intent is for us to be faithful. So whether you agree that the next 10 chapters of Revelation are literal or not is not, is not a big deal. What I want us to look is forward to what it looks like to be faithful. Does that make sense? So we can kind of agree to disagree and kind of work our way through this and care for each other along the way, but we believe that Scripture helps to interpret Scripture, okay? And so whenever we're reading Scripture, we, we look at other parts of Scripture to help us interpret it. And the Old Testament references, like I've been sharing with you, in this book are enormous. There's over 400 of them. We cannot discount all these references and, and then there's all the Roman imperial propaganda that we talked about last week. So last week we talked about Domitian. Uh, we talked about the image of the one on the throne and how all that undercuts propaganda about him. Um, we also talked about this idea of a scroll and this idea of Domitian holding the scroll and it having like this, this connotation of that, that Domitian that the emperor had in a sense this uh, this ability to lay out human history, to control human history. And uh, we talked about how meaningful that image is. And so now we're going to jump into chapter 6 because they begin to start opening the scroll, they, 
the Lamb. Verse 1, I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, come. I looked and there before me was a white horse and its rider held a bow and he was given a crown and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. When the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one, and it, um, its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. Which sounds like a regular day right now in our world. To him was given a large sword. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages, six pounds of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. So the idea behind here is think economic hardship, think difficulty. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth creature saying, Come. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were giving they given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. This is very Halloween-ish. Um, Four horsemen is a reference to Zechariah 1. It's not a brand new image. It's kind of pulled in by John. Uh, when, the, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the, soul, under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had ma maintained. They called out in a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord? We talked about this how long language all throughout scripture. Now, holy and true until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. Then each of them was given a white robe. Remember, a white robe was for people who were victorious. We talked all about victory. Um, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great, black, great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. You guys know goat hair, right? We all know, we all know goat hair. Anybody wearing anything with goat hair? No? Probably not. Okay. The whole moon turned blood red. This is where a lot of people come up with the blood moon prophecies. And the stars in the, in the sky fell to the earth as figs dropped from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, then everyone else, both slave and free. And I want you to remember this image hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can withstand it? Sounds like a great children's message, right? You guys liking this so far? Yeah, yeah. Very interesting. <laughs> now, before we go further, hopefully by now, in our conversations, we have been transitioning from oh man, when is this going to happen? Two, I wonder what the initial recipients of this letter would have been thinking. And that's where we want to start. 
Today we meet a, a very important theme in Scripture called the Day of the Lord. Okay? And all the Old Testament, let's read the, verse 17, it says, For the great day of their wrath has come. This is a theme all throughout the Old Testament called the Day of the Lord. And there are references throughout, but there's three kind of major iterations of the day of the Lord in the Old Testament. And this is what John is drawing from. And I can tell you that because there are very similar language throughout everything. So it starts in Exodus. You guys know the Exodus story. But at the beginning of Exodus chapter 1, verse 8, and we're not going to throw it on the screen, but there's this passage that basically says, that the Pharaoh of the time forgot about Joseph and all that he had done, and he became fearful of all the Israelites, and so they created a whole slavery structure to oppress the Israelites, and the more they oppressed the Israelites, the more the Israelites grew in number. And this became a problem for Pharaoh, and the Passover story is hard to overemphasize it carries through all Scripture. And Yahweh is declaring war on the gods of Egypt later on in the story of uh, the people in Exodus. And I'm going to throw this up there. You guys probably have seen the plagues of Egypt. So these are the plagues on Egypt. Water into blood, frogs, gnats, flies, pestilence, which is like sickness of your livestock, sores, boils, basically, and I was always grossed out about that when I was a kid. Hail, locusts, darkness, and death of the firstborn. Any firstborn? All right, we can relate. Firstborn males. Sorry, Mom. Not you. Um, so here's the plagues on Egypt, and the reason for these plagues was every single one of these plagues was attached to a god of the Egyptians. And so God was declaring war on the gods of the Egyptians. Sounds like a lot of fun, right? And it is these plagues that provoke Pharaoh. It was meant to provoke Pharaoh to repentance. But it says 10 times in the passages that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And it also says 10 times in the passages that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Okay. So we get to Exodus 13.3, it says then, well, they're rescued. Okay, we're just fast-forwarding a bit here. They're rescued, and when Moses said to the people, commemorate this day, the day, right? You came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, because the Lord brought you out with his mighty hand. So this became a traditional yearly festival called Passover. That day was the day that you would celebrate what God had done to rescue you from a corrupt, immoral, heavy-handed, um, powerful nation. And Egypt was brought low, and Israel was set free, okay? And it says in Exodus 14, that day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, in, in Moses his servant. Now, to help us in our brains understand what the day of the Lord is, 
Here is a quote from Tim Mackey from the Bible Project. And we're about to watch a Bible Project video in a little bit. But it says this, the day of the Lord is, this is a phrase used to describe how God is at work in history to confront collective human evil, to liberate his people from oppression, and to assert his rule over creation. Okay? So this happens in the story of the Egyptians, and it continues to happen in the scriptures. Uh, An arrogant nation is is judged, oppressed people are set free, and the sovereign power of Yahweh is shown over that empire. You with me? Okay, the second time this happens, now, there's two versions of this in Scripture. You'll see a lowercase day of the Lord, and then you'll see an uppercase day of the Lord, a capitalized day. The lowercase day of the Lord is a historical reference to a day of the Lord where God does his work. And then there's a penultimate day of the Lord where God will finally and completely deal with evil and empire and its ultimate hope for us and for all of humanity. Okay? So in Isaiah, we see another reference of the day of the Lord, and this is condemning Babylon. And I'm not going to go through all the references here, but I'm going to go through some of them. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 17 says, The arrogance of man will be brought low, and human pride humbled. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Okay? Uh, And then verse 19, see if this rings a bell with revelation. People will flee to caves in the rocks and to holes in the ground. From the fearful presence of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty when he rises to shake the earth. Sound familiar to Revelation at all? This idea of hiding in the rocks from what God is, that God is um, going to do something to fix all that is broken. And who are the people hiding in the rocks? People who are doing broken things. Now, there's so much language here in Isaiah 13. Um, Pop this on the screen a little bit, Carissa. The the stars of heaven. Let's do the stars of heaven, verse 10. Stars of heaven and their constellations will not show their light. Darkness, right? Rising of the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. A little further down. um, Make the heavens tremble and the earth will shake. This idea of an earthquake. And then verse 13, uh, chapter 13, verse 19 says, Babylon, the jewel of kingdoms, the pride and glory of the Babylonians will be overthrown by God like Sodom and Gomorrah. So what are we talking about? It's a historical reference to Babylon falling to the Persians and it is using this day of the Lord language. Now think about it. If you are no internet, no you know, phones, no, you, all you know is the few square miles that you've lived your whole life. You don't know world maps. You don't know other cultures. And all of a sudden, your whole world changes drastically. Would that feel like the stars falling from the sky and the sun turning black as sackcloth? 
Yeah, it would. God would judge unchecked human evil on a national scale. And here's the problem. It happens to Israel. It happens to God's people. The prophet Amos talks about it. The prophet Joel talks about it. We're not going to get into these references. I'm going to let you see the video. Joel is prophesying about a day of the Lord against Israel and how the oppressed became the oppressors. Okay, this happened in human history. The early church uh, was like, during this whole time that we're reading about, uh, was kind of oppressed. And 200 and a half, 300 years later, they became the oppressors. In fact, it came where if you didn't, you know, swear an oath to Jesus, you would be killed. So it's really easy in our human hearts to change from being the oppressed to the oppressor. And so we're talking about this whole idea, the overthrow of Israel. They get carted off into exile. God's own people had become arrogant and oppressive. And then there's this description of heavenly cosmic day of the Lord language. So when we get to Revelation chapter 6, trust me, the video is coming shortly. (laughs) It says, I watched as he opened the sixth seal, verse 12, and there was a great earthquake and the sun turned black like sackcloth and the whole moon turned red and the stars fell to the earth. This day of the Lord, biblical Old Testament imagery. This is like big massive imagination, hyperbole stuff. Kings of the earth, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're a king of the earth or you're a slave and free. It doesn't matter. You're going to hide in caves. Your, your prestige doesn't matter at this point because a great day is coming. Now, when we read Revelation 6, we're tempted to look ahead as if there's specific things yet to come. And I'm here to tell you that there will, be spe- there will be things to come. There's still a penultimate day of the Lord where all of evil will be eradicated. But I will argue that this is an archetypal description of many times throughout history that a day has come. For a nation who is arrogant and oppressing God's people, that God wants to show up and humble them. And I believe that this passage, and you can disagree with me, and that's totally fine, but I believe this passage is talking about Rome. Because of all the things that we've talked about and all the Roman imperial worship and how this was addressed to seven actual house churches, I think that this passage is talking about Rome. And its imagery in its series of seven, it's actually three waves of seven that we'll read. There's seals and trumpets and, and bowls. And think of Russian nesting dolls, right? How it gets, like you open one up and there's another one. You open it, it's like three iterations. One scholar calls it circling the same drain three times. And when we get to Revelation 8, 1 through 5, it says, when he opened the seventh seal. Okay, this is the seventh seal. We've talked about six. Here's the seventh. There was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Some of you are like, man, I wish there was silence at my house for like a half an hour. And I saw seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them. So within, embedded in the seventh seal are seven trumpets. Another angel had a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. 
<clears throat> he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people. <clears throat> On the golden altar in front of the throne, the smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of God's people, went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with the fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And then there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and earthquake. And that happens over and over and over again. Notice the seventh seal. I'm just going to write these. We're not going to go through everything, but the seven trumpets. Here we go. Hail, water into blood, bitter water, darkness, darkness, locusts, four angels of death, there's an interlude where there's no repentance, um, and then there's a day of the Lord. So these are like a whole bunch more plague language from the Exodus that we get. Um, and if you're part of a tiny house church in Ephesus hearing this, are you thinking about the day of the Lord? Or are you thinking, man, this must be something that's going to happen a long time from now? Are you thinking like Old Testament? Or are you thinking, man, I hope someone 2,000 years from now really gets this? Revelation 11, 19, when, when God's temple in heaven was opened and within his temple was seen the ark of his covenant and there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake and a, heavy, and a severe hailstorm, it ends the same way as before. So there's these like interludes, Right? Next week, we're going to be in chapters 12 through 14. We're talking about the dragon and the beasts. You're not going to want to miss that. And now we get to verse, uh, chapter 16. There's seven bowls. Throw this up on the screen. Sores, seawater into blood, fresh water into blood, sun scorched, darkness, frogs again. Another no repentance season and day of the Lord. Now there is a time in the book of Revelation, where there is repentance. But it is not because of the judgments. It's not because of the sores and the frogs and the things. Just like Pharaoh. It's because of the witness of the church. And we're going to, that's just a little teaser for later in November. But the cycle ends again with Revelation 16, more peals of thunder and earthquakes and things like that. Now, I almost made a total nerdy chart. And you can do this on your own for extra gold stars. But I almost listed all the plagues in, Egypt, in, in Exodus and then all the things we're seeing in all these different bowls. And, because it, I think it's so fascinating. What I want to suggest is that God is reacting to yet another nation that has claimed divine superiority and has oppressed people. And we know it's the nation of Rome because John actually calls Rome Babylon. And we're going to learn about Babylon in two weeks. But what I want you to do now is you guys made it to the video. I'm so proud of you. And this will make so much more sense. So take a look at this from the Bible Project. So does that make it better? What, by the way, we have the link for that. It'll be, um, it's actually, if you um, hit our program under our resource page on our website, you can actually catch the link if you want to see that again. Bible Project also has a whole bunch of videos on the day of the Lord. 
But here's where I want to close us today. Where is the hope in this? The hope in this is that God is, is a God who is going to confront human evil. That's huge. Most of us are not oppressed people. Most of us have not grown up that way. We don't know what that's like. Uh, we experience some suffering. But imagine being an oppressed people and experiencing suffering most of your life and you're hearing these words. And if you're like me, these words have the potential to be actually more uncomfortable than they are hopeful. Because I have to ask myself, and if I'm reading this right, and other smart people are reading this right, has the empire around me taken on parts um, of Babylon, and am I complicit in it? Are there unjust economic practices that I benefit from? Are there oppressive ways that you and I call normal that run counter to the kingdom? Um, this doesn't mean that we don't love our country. It actually means that because we love it and because we're students of Scripture, that we're called to interrogate the assumptions of our surrounding culture and to ask what are the ways we participate in injustice around us? And we're tempted to make this book about the future because it keeps us from challenge, the challenge off of us. And so the hope is for, for us that the person that abused you, the system that oppressed you, the corporate greed that keeps you and other people in poverty, that God is not blind to that stuff. He's not. Like, how could God be loving and not deal with evil? How could God be loving and not uh, deal with the amount of human blood that cries out from the earth over thousands of years? So the section on, that we're in here is a, these birth pangs towards new creation and what is actually taking us to that place where there are no more tears and no more pain and no more disease and no more mass shootings and no more terrorism. The truth about human life has to be told and the injustice has to be reckoned with. That is what God is about. And so the hope comes from a God who's not indifferent to human evil, but who has dealt with it and will deal with it in a final form. And so the question for us, middle class, safe and secure folks, is we have to ask ourselves, not will God get back at my oppressors, but where have I joined in that system of oppressing? We have to ask that. Hope is found in the space because embedded in evil is the seed of its own destruction. That's what the wrath of God is. The wrath of God is embedded in evil. You become what you want to be. And who is victorious? Only those who have taken on the blood of the slain lamb. That's who's victorious. And so this morning, um, that's where we're going to end. As we wrestle with this first major theme. 
and next week, Dragon and the Beast, and the week after that is Babylon. And my hope is, is that these three themes will help kind of, um, kind of come together like gears for us to understand what John is saying. Does that make sense? Let me pray. God, we are grateful to wrestle, and I am grateful to be a part of a church who chooses to hear and wrestle with challenging and hard things. And you want for us to be faithful. You want for us to have our eyes wide open as to what your kingdom is up to and how this world that we live in kind of, as the, as the video says, tries to redefine what is good, what is evil, what is powerful, what is sacrificial. God, you want us to be faithful. You want us to be You want us to be your people, the way you created us to be. And so God, show us in our own lives, show us in the life of our community how we can be that, how we can do that. Help us to wrestle with these hard things. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Church, just want you to know there are resources, and I've put a few books on um, the resource page. Um, there's a number of discussion questions. If you're small groups gathering, if you want to get together with a few folks and maybe chew on this a little bit, I've also put the link up there to that video, so I would encourage you to do a little bit of your own background and homework. But before you go, um, I want to send us with a benediction. And the benediction comes from from uh, Deuteronomy. And this is a charge to the people of Israel. And we'll start in verse 4. This is the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligent, diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk in, uh, by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as, be as frontals to your forehead, on your forehead. I don't know what version this is. I don't, it's not familiar to me. You shall write them on your doorposts of your house and on your gates. The idea is that God has a plan that God wants them to be a people, to bind things to their foreheads, I mean their hands and to their foreheads, to talk about it, to live it, to do it. That, and the beginning of that is here. And here isn't just to let sound waves come into our ears. Here has a whole bunch about responding. And so will you stand with me as we go? Restoration, may you and I hear May you and I hear from God our Father, from our sacrificial Lamb Jesus, and from the beautiful working of the Holy Spirit in our lives as we go. Amen.